Well, good morning. Welcome to the Tuesday Men's Bible Study at PCPC. My name is Matt Frey, one of the pastors here at the church, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning as we continue looking at the miracles of Jesus, the signs and wonders he performed revealing his identity as the promised Messiah and the Savior of sinners. We are looking today at John chapter 9 and the story of a man born blind and the healing Jesus accomplishes for that man both physically and spiritually. Now this is one of many miracles in the Gospels involving blindness. In fact, miracles addressing the issue of blindness are the most common miracle of all of Jesus' miracles. Uh, We see him interacting with people who are blind more frequently uh, than any other type of illness or any other type of miracle. So Matthew chapter 9, 15, 20, 21, Mark 8, Mark 10, Luke 7, Luke 18, all these different places, he is healing those who are blind. But in this passage, in John chapter 9, we have a uniquely comprehensive healing story, a uniquely comprehensive passage that really addresses uh, the issue of blindness not primarily physically, but primarily the spiritual blindness, which all men find themselves trapped within. And the ways in which Jesus exposes that, addresses it, and gives life to those who believe. When Jesus first introduced himself in uh, the temple, in the synagogue in Nazareth, he used a passage from Isaiah as he introduced his ministry. It says in Luke chapter 4 that he was invited to stand up and read, and he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So much of Jesus' ministry is summed up in those verses. And there in the middle, we read that phrase, that he comes recovering sight to the blind. And so we get to explore that theme today from John chapter 9. As we begin, I'm going to read this passage just in some uh, bite-sized sections as we work our way through it. Um, You've, Lord willing, already read it and considered it through some study questions, but let me read for us the beginning of the passage, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Interestingly, this uh, chapter is 41 verses, but the miracle itself, the healing episode, uh, is contained just within these first seven verses. Verses 8 through 41 uh, take the story on to a deeper level. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 say this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, 
Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. In verse 3 of that passage, Jesus is answering the question of the disciples of why the man is blind. Um, and Jesus answers that it was not because the man sinned that he's blind. It's not because his parents sinned that he was blind. That's an association that many make sometimes with disabilities and illnesses of various kinds, that there's some moral guilt leading to the illness. And Jesus said in this case, that was uh, not the case uh, in this circumstance for this man's life. In fact, he was blind, it says, uh, in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. God had allowed blindness to afflict this man from his birth so that what was about to happen in this chapter uh, could be read by us for our own benefit. Could it be experienced? Salvation would be experienced for this man. Um, there was great and mighty uh, sovereign purposes of God in allowing this particular man to suffer the curse of physical blindness. But throughout the whole chapter, we see uh, Jesus is using this episode in sovereign and strategic ways to not only serve the needs of this man physically and spiritually, um, but to unveil for us his identity, um, to reveal the tension between uh, the religious leaders in the Pharisees and Jesus, um, and ultimately to speak to us to cause us to think more carefully and more deeply about our condition before God and how Jesus meets that by his grace. In John chapter 8, verse 5, we read a, a very famous statement, a very famous I am statement from the Gospel of John. John 8, verse 5 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In a lot of ways, if you look at John chapter 8, that verse is almost orphaned around, uh, compared to surrounding passages. Jesus doesn't take the time in John 8 to explain what, is it, what does it mean that he's the light of the world. Uh, how is it that people will have life by his light? Um, really, it's John chapter 9 that unfolds and answers that great question. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? This miracle... Um, as I've said, has strategic purposes, sovereign purposes used by God, explaining what it means that Jesus is the light of the world and unfolding for us um, a great sign. Uh, Jesus' miracles uh, in the Gospel of John, John does not usually refer to these healing episodes or uh, storm-stilling episodes as miracles. He, he usually refers to them with the term sign, uh, that these are signs done by Jesus for the original hearers and the original participants in the event and also for us. And what's true about a sign is a sign is not something that is subjective. If you're driving down the street and you see a red sign with the letters STOP, you do not get to interpret according to the law, you don't get to interpret subjectively what that sign means to you. Uh, you have to receive the message being communicated by it and follow it. In a similar way, these miracle episodes, and especially this one here, since it's so 
uh, so long and so detailed. Uh, this miracle is a sign. Uh, it's a sign pointing to objective, fixed, real truths about who we are and who Jesus is. Uh, the sign is revealing things, uh, revealing key truths. And the first one, the first truth um, that Jesus reveals in this account is that he reveals uh, that our blindness is spiritual. He reveals our blindness is spiritual. Um, we see this uh, throughout the whole passage, but especially in the verses that follow the miracle itself. As I mentioned earlier, the miracle really only occupies seven verses of the 41 verses of this chapter. Um, Jesus uses the physical healing to illustrate deeper truths, and that first truth is that we are spiritually blind. Um, I begin reading in verse 8, and you can listen and focus as I read to the, the confusion, even the blindness, of the people who are responding to the, to the miracle of this man's healing. Um, notice how each person, neighbors, parents, the man himself, the Pharisees, everyone is trying to make sense of what has happened, and they're coming up short. Um, listen to it as I read. It says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I, don't not, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself." His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. This whole section here reveals our spiritual blindness. As I mentioned right before I read, this passage is filled with confusion, filled with disagreement, filled with debates of people trying to make sense of this man's claim that he has once been blind and now been healed. The neighbors can't figure out if it's the same man, the man that's seeing now. Is that the same man who once was blind? Um, the Pharisees are uh, arguing and debating about when this miracle supposedly happened, if this was really a man who was blind. Um, 
Uh, and the parents themselves, this is heartbreaking, but the parents themselves uh, don't come to the, the healed man's defense. They throw him under the bus and say he can answer for himself who healed him, when, and why. He is our son, um, but they certainly did not want any association with Christ, it says, for fear of being uh, removed from the synagogue. Uh, so some parents there um, redirecting the tension of the moment to their vulnerable son. Now, um, what's so interesting uh, in this, this hot mess of the passage and all of the confusion and betrayal, parental betrayal around it, uh, the author is using the, the distractions and the disagreements and the confusion of the moment to illustrate um, the deeper truth that all of the people in this passage are experiencing blindness. All of them are failing to see what is plain and clear in front of them, that a man once blind now sees because of Jesus healing him. Uh, Everyone is debating the details of that, disagreeing about if it happened and how it happened. And it's almost as if John, the author, is, is extending and protracting and leaning into the details of the confusion to remind us all of these people are failing to see what is plain before them. All of these people are broken. While they may not have uh, physical blindness the way this man once had, they all are spiritually, cognitively, uh, soulfully blind to the realities of Jesus' person and work. Um, blindness throughout the Bible is used as a, a metaphor. Real instances of physical blindness always pointing to deeper issues of spiritual blindness. And so Moses in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, warned the people of Israel that they would be cursed with physical blindness if their hearts were led astray from the Lord. Um, the prophets of the Old Testament. In the prophets, we have a record of men like Elisha uh, afflicting people to be blind and then healing their blindness in the result of uh, spiritual apostasy. Um, later prophets will write about the people of Israel, warning them of a blindness that is to come um, and referring to that both physically and spiritually. And then here in John chapter 9, we see it uh, unfolded again. Think of also Acts chapter 9, the, the blindness with which Saul was struck. Saul on the road to Damascus struck with blindness as part of his conversion. Um, that blindness being a moment in which God was making him aware of his spiritual condition, rejecting Jesus, needing to confess his sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, this theme of physical blindness is tied and wrapped up with spiritual blindness. And of course, the problem of spiritual blindness for these people, um, for the neighbors and the Pharisees and for this man and for his parents. The problem of spiritual blindness here and throughout the Bible is um, far more severe than physical blindness. Spiritual blindness is far more severe, far more serious than physical blindness. And you can think about that in three ways. Number one, spiritual blindness 
influences every single part of our lives and our bodies and our souls eternally. Physical blindness has real uh, um, serious and comprehensive effects for the one who is blind. Um, certainly in this passage, this man's physical blindness uh, directly influenced his, um, his vocation. He was a beggar sitting by the side of the road. And so certainly physical blindness has, has great consequence for many things in life. But uh, as you and I both know, um, hopefully having met and interacted with people who have struggled with some form of physical blindness, there are many ways that they can accommodate, many ways that they can be successful in all kinds of fields and ventures of life. Um, and yet spiritual blindness is inescapable. Spiritual blindness afflicts every single part of our lives and who we are and our futures. And so it's far more serious, far more severe. A second reason for spiritual blindness being so much more severe is that the consequence of spiritual blindness is condemnation and death. It's condemnation and death before the living God. Our failure to see our sin, our failure to see Him as our Creator, Redeemer, um, the consequence for uh, failing to see those things is eternal, and it's uh, the consequence of condemnation. Third, spiritual blindness is more significant, more severe than physical blindness because uh, spiritual blindness is notoriously hard to diagnose. And that's really where the passage for the remainder of our time is really going to focus. How do we know if we are spiritually blind? How do we know if someone else is spiritually blind? It's incredibly hard to diagnose. For this reason, someone who is spiritually blind cannot see that they are spiritually blind. Physical blindness, um, you are aware that you cannot see. Even if you do not know what it is like to see, you have others around you and you can have medical testing done that objectively determines that you are blind to some degree or another. Spiritual blindness is far more invisible, far more elusive. And those who are spiritually blind cannot see that they are spiritually blind. They may reject altogether the category of being blind spiritually. This is where the Pharisees are. Um, they cannot see their blindness to what is plain and obvious before them. Um, they are finding every conceivable way to, uh, to disprove that a miracle has occurred or to disprove that by the miracle occurring that Jesus truly is the Son of God. They are blind to what is plain and obvious in the passage. It's also hard for us to diagnose, though, sometimes others who who may be spiritually blind. It's, it's fairly clear, the way John tells the story, it's fairly clear to see that the Pharisees are spiritually blind. It's often less clear to, for us to look at those around us, family members, friends, um, people in our congregation. Uh, it's sometimes hard to see if, if they are spiritually blind because uh, the claim of being able to see spiritually, the claim of knowing the truth, of being a child of God is, is easy to make verbally. 
and behaviorally we can do things that, that mimic the life of a believer, um, but there are subtle interior ways that have to be examined to know are we placing our faith truly in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel, or are we simply playing the part? Are we acting out religious identities and behaviors and values without truly grasping and trusting and giving ourselves to Jesus as he's offered in the gospel? We'll talk more about that at the end as we close, but for now, simply see from this passage, uh, John, through the words and ministry of Jesus here, is revealing to us the universal condition that all of us are born, not with physical blindness, but with a deep, severe, spiritual blindness that is inescapable, apart from the breaking in, apart from the breaking in of Jesus, of his rescue, of his pursuit of our lives. And that's what we see in the the verses that follow. Um, We've seen the the blind man healed in verses 1 through 7. We've seen him uh, in different conversations and debates with, with neighbors and Pharisees and parents. And now he's going to go back and talk to the Pharisees again and then uh, towards the end talk with Jesus himself. But for now, this, this conversation, the second conversation with the Pharisees, verses 24 through 34... Here we see, sorry, 24 through 38, we see uh, that this blind man is moving from, um, from unbelief towards believing in Jesus as the Son of God and his Savior. He's not there yet, but he is on the way receiving the gift of spiritual sight uh, progressively through his wrestling with what has happened to him and how he understands it compared to how the Pharisees understand it. Um, Let me read for us verses 24 through 38. It says, For the second time they, speaking of the Pharisees, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and done his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. This man who was blind 
seems to be a, a, a pretty tough character. Um, someone who's fairly comfortable in his own skin. You've got to imagine that by virtue of his disability, perhaps there's been ways in which he has been mistreated and learned to stand up for himself, learn to defend himself in different ways. You clearly see that toughness, that resolve, that um, thinking for himselfness um, in his uh, dialogue with the Pharisees, really his argument and um, uh, separation from the Pharisees being kicked out from among them. Um, he really stands his ground and debates the Pharisees' logic, um, doesn't go along with their pressures and assumptions. This man has, has a head on his shoulders and is standing up for what he has experienced. Once blind, now healed by Jesus. Um, the blind man has had his sight of Jesus transformed, especially in uh, this section of the chapter. Think of the ways, um, I think your study notes even refer to this, uh, think of the ways that this blind man has gone from referring to Jesus uh, in the beginning, he refers to him as the man called Jesus. That's verse 11. And then he eventually calls him a prophet in verse 17. And then he says that Jesus was sent from God in verse 33. And then finally in verse 38, speaking to Jesus. Um, Jesus revealing his identity as the Son of Man. The man once blind then calls Jesus Lord. How does that happen? How does that transformation happen for this blind man? What's the source of spiritual sight? Well, the source of the spiritual sight is not this man's own wisdom. Um, though he was uh, tough, though he was thoughtful, though he was thinking clearly about what had happened to him, his faith, his spiritual faith in Jesus as the Son of God um, was not a product of his own wisdom, not a product of his own morality. Um, he does not appeal to who his parents are or to um, uh, being uh, with Jesus or with disciples on a particular occasion. The source of the blind man's spiritual sight is the work of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one granting spiritual sight just as in the same way as Jesus grants physical sight. You may have noticed um, this miracle compared to other miracle stories um, the blind man does not approach Jesus and ask to be healed. No one brings the blind man, no friend or parent brings the blind man to Jesus, asking for him to be healed. That's what we see in so many other stories of the Gospels when there is a physical healing miracle. Uh, a person reaches out and asks to be healed, or a friend or parent brings them to be healed. Here, the man is simply uh, sitting, and Jesus notices him. Jesus approaches him. Jesus pursues him. It says in the ver first verse of the chapter, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. That's how the whole episode begins. Jesus sees him. Jesus goes to him. And then in verse 35, again, um, Jesus has a conversation with the blind man at the conclusion of uh, the story in verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Jesus heard that the Jews had cast the blind man out of the synagogue. And so he, he went and found him and asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Notice 
how that's unfolding, how that's happening. Jesus hears about what is happening. He goes and finds the man who had been born blind, and he starts engaging him with questions, core questions now, about his spiritual sight. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in me? Jesus is the source of all spiritual sight for this man and for all of us. John makes that clear throughout his gospel. John 6, Jesus tells his disciples, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to Jesus. No one seeks after God. No, not one. Our hearts are hard and wayward and rebellious. It is only by the pursuing, initiating, redeeming call of the Father through the Holy Spirit to his Son, Jesus Christ. It's only by that call coming to us in our lives and God's initiative that any of us ever have the hope of gaining spiritual sight. God is the author of our salvation. Chapter 10 of John, uh, which we won't cover this fall in the miracle series, but chapter 10 of John, remember, is that uh, chapter where Jesus is talking about himself as being the good shepherd, the good shepherd who knows his sheep, who goes after them. John 10 verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, is the one who seeks and saves us who are lost, who are blind, blind to our own sin, blind to the reality of Uh, who we are in the sight of God, guilty and condemned, blind to the work of Jesus Christ. God must pursue. He must open our eyes. He does it here for this blind man through this direct, personal conversation with Jesus. Now, uh, Jesus asks this blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Spiritual sight comes not by doing something, not by being a certain kind of person. Spiritual sight comes simply and purely by believing. Of all the world's religions, Christianity is the most amazingly simple and childlike. All that God requires is to trust Him. We don't have to be of a certain family. We don't have to go to a certain place and accomplish a certain thing. We don't have to uh, have behavioral calculus where the good outweighs the bad. We don't have to give a certain amount of, of money or time. All that is required is faith, believing. And that's why Jesus asks that question of the blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answers, the blind, the man once blind answers, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And, I worship, and he worshipped him. Belief. Jesus is the source of spiritual sight. Belief is the content 
of spiritual sight, believing in the person and work of Jesus, and believing specifically that the person and work of Jesus, that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, came to die and be raised for you and for me. Believing not just from a distance that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did certain things, but that he did those things for your salvation. That you need the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. That you believe that and confess that. That is spiritual sight. Now, just like every miracle in the Gospels points backwards in certain ways, I mentioned that at the beginning, how the, the theme of blindness, uh, both physical and spiritual blindness, points backwards to things in the Old Testament in the lives of Moses and Elisha and Isaiah the prophet and so many others. Um, the miracles also point forward. In this particular case, the miracle of the healing of the blind man points forward um, as does every miracle in a way, points forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus towards the end of the Gospel of John. It's in the death and resurrection of Jesus that we see Jesus as he is, not only as a great teacher and a great worker of miracles, not only as one who, who comes challenging and confronting the religious establishment of the day, um, not only one coming to fulfill the word of God, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he defeats the curse of sin and its penalty, that he defeats and reverses the curse of death in his glorious resurrection. It's Jesus crucified and raised that is the light of the world. Uh, it's tempting sometimes in certain Christian traditions to think that uh, Jesus is light because he is a moral guide, and so we must follow in his ways. Or Jesus is a light in that he, he helps us conceive of and understand the, the spiritual realities of the world we live in, uh, the forces of good and forces of evil, of what it means to be a person with, of, of prayer and having a, a heart and mind set on things above. Those are elements and aspects of Jesus being light, but ultimately, Jesus as light, he brings light into the darkness of our world because he defeats the power of sin and death over us. Um, the darkness of sin, the darkness of death, he undoes by his cross, by his empty tomb. And that's really what... Uh, passages like Isaiah 35 and 42, which are fulfilled here, the, the giving of sight to the blind, those passages are fulfilled here, but really they're ultimately fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection, because it's only by his death, only by his resurrection, that he's able to give spiritual life to those who believe. Um, Acts chapter 26 illustrates this. I'll read this briefly, and then we'll move on and close. Acts chapter 26 Paul is speaking to Agrippa, um, appealing to uh, his message as an apostle. And Paul says, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer 
and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. That's essentially what I'm seeking to communicate here. Jesus is light to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Jesus is light because he suffered and because he rose from the dead. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what we are called to believe. That is what in having our blindness exposed and having Jesus revealed, that is the focus of our faith. Spiritual sight means seeing Jesus as the Savior from sin by his death and resurrection. Uh, It's only when you deal with the death and resurrection of Jesus for you that you are dealing with the true stuff of faith. In a religious culture like ours, in a very Christianized culture like we live in in Dallas, Texas, it's easy to confuse what is the heart of Christianity, what is the essence of Christianity, and what are the things surrounding it. The heart, the essence, the core is the crucified, risen, and crucified, raised Jesus for us. It's not the clothes we wear, it's not the church we go to, it's not the style of our music, it's not even the patterns of morality we seek. It is trusting and giving ourselves to the living God through his son Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. And that is what we are called to believe. That's why this sign is here, so that we would have our blindness revealed and have spiritual sight restored in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why this miracle story is here. That's why all the miracle stories are here in the Gospel of John. John 20, verses 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, briefly as we close, verses 39 through 41 are some important verses and some some challenging Uh, potentially confusing verses of this passage, but I want to make sure that we read them and understand them clearly. Jesus here is helping us look back on all that has been said in this chapter, thinking about the themes of spiritual blindness, thinking about the themes of believing and having spiritual sight through believing in him. And he gives in verses 39 through 41, really, a a test for our condition. How do we test whether we really have received spiritual sight? As I said at the beginning, it is notoriously difficult to diagnose spiritual blindness, notoriously hard sometimes to to verify spiritual sight. How do we know if we are really seeing and believing rightly? How do we know if we've been deceived like the Pharisees were deceived, thinking they were religious, thinking that they were acceptable before God, and yet having hearts far from him? How do we know? Jesus gives us some clues, uh, some warnings and some clues in verses 39 through 41. They say this, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, And are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is a little bit cryptic, a little bit confusing. 
uh, because Jesus is using the words uh, blind and see with some double meaning. Um, in verse 39, he says those who do not see, that he has come that those who do not, not see may see. He's referring to sinners who do not see rightly um, coming to faith in him and therefore seeing. He's using the word see in two different ways. Do not see, may see, um, and be saved. And then again in the second part of verse 39, he says those who may see may become blind. Um, those who see may become blind. He's referring to the merely religious. The, the merely religious are those who, who claim that they see um, or who are described as seeing. Um, the people who are uh, going through the motions of religious behaviors and practices on the outside and yet have hearts that do not believe in Jesus. He says those are the people who see and will become blind, um, being condemned essentially being hardened. And you see that hardening through this passage, the, the softening and the coming to faith of the man once blind, the hardening and the, the growing animosity of the religious leaders and the Pharisees towards Jesus. And Jesus says that's part of the reason he's come, for judgment, to give clarity, to give division, uh, to separate those who are truly his people believing in his name from those who um, are pretending um, externally to be God's people, and yet in their hearts they've failed to see the fulfillment of his promise in Jesus. And so Jesus is coming to clarify that, and he clarifies it through in this passage in the language of seeing and being blind. And so how do you know, uh, how do you know that you have spiritual sight? From that verse that I read in verse 39, it seems like a pretty dangerous thing to say that you see and to assume that you are saved um, because you may be blind, Jesus says. So should we constantly be living in doubt? Should we constantly be living in self-abasement and, and hoping that, that we might be able to see, fearing that we should actually presume that we are saved and do see? Um, that is not the pattern God desires for us. Yes, we should examine and, and question the essence of our faith. Have we really believed? Are we really saved? Is there really fruit? Um, but we certainly are not called to live in a state of suspended um, uncertainty. Um, and so two just diagnostic questions that arise from these verses, two diagnostic questions to help us to test our condition. Are we people who see Jesus and are saved? Or are we people who are still blinded by our sin? Two questions that might help get at that. Number one, what is the object of your sight? What is the object of your sight? If you claim to be seeing, if you claim to be um, alive spiritually, seeing, let's go with the metaphor of seeing, what is the object of your sight? What is it that your faith is fixed on and centered on and grounded in? Is it in your behavior? Is it in belonging to a particular church? Is it in a certain set of doctrines that you uh, find especially compelling? Um, or is it in the crucified and risen Jesus? Is he truly the core and the center of your faith, the object 
of your faith as a believer. If you were to strip everything else away from your life uh, and your faith, does Jesus remain at the core as he's offered through God's word in the gospel? And so what's the object of your sight, spiritually speaking? For the Pharisees, the object of their sight was the law of the Old Testament, or at least their twisted understanding of it. And they looked to themselves as fulfilling and keeping and protecting that law. That was the center of their sights spiritually, of their lives spiritually, and they missed the coming of the Lamb of God. Um, perhaps today you might find yourself in the position of a Pharisee. Your religious life is a list of rules and expectations. And the activities of the Christian life seem to you to be a burden and a chore. You're exhausted continually, spiritually. Your heart continually oscillates between extreme feelings of guilt and extreme feelings of self-righteousness and pride. If that describes some of the dynamics of your life as a believer, uh, your life as uh, one participating in the life of the church, it may be worth exploring, have I really received true spiritual sight? Why am I continuing to be plagued by guilt and do's and don'ts? Why am I so exhausted and fatigued? Why am I so fixated on behaviors? Um, It's worth visiting. Have I really seen Jesus as he's offered in the gospel? and the freedom of simply believing on his name for salvation. The man in the story who was once blind had his sight fixed on Jesus, and he saw Jesus as the source of his sight. And the fruit of that faith, that simple, pure, Christ-centered faith, was seen in verse 38, which says that uh, the blind man says, Lord, I believed, I believe, and he worshiped him. A heart of worship. A a life of worship, of declaring the worth and the praise and the glory of God in all that you think and say and do, that's fruit of truly having spiritual sight, that your chains are off, that your heart is free, that you're able to live a life of genuine love for God, affection for His people, eager participation in His mission, a life of freedom and joy and peace. Those are marks of having true spiritual sight, eyes fixed on Jesus, and a life of worship. Psalm 18 verses 27 and 28 say, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord of God, my God lightens my darkness. We as God's people are called to be humble people. People humbly clinging to the person and work of Jesus, the light of the world by his death and resurrection, all of our days. And so he's given us his word and his spirit. He's given us the church so that as we live in an age of darkness, as we live in an age of spiritual warfare, as we live with lives continually plagued by sin and suffering, we would continue by the power of the Holy Spirit clinging to that faith in Jesus the light of the world, in Jesus crucified and raised. Keeping our hearts fixed on him is no easy thing. It's a daily discipline. But the good news that I'll leave you with today is that the day is coming when the struggle is over. Right now, the the life of faith is a life of constantly seeking and prayerfully 
disciplining ourselves to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, uh, clinging to our profession of faith. But the day is coming when uh, the life of faith, the life of struggle, the life of, of hungering and thirsting after righteousness is laid to rest. The day is coming. Revelation 22 describes it in verses 3 through 5. The day when we simply are with the Lord and see Him face to face and have hearts and lives full of perfectly pure spiritual sight in the living God. Listen to these verses. No longer in that day will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how this miracle story um, helps us to see afresh the, the depths of our spiritual blindness, our need for you, the living God, to come and enter in and by your Holy Spirit give us faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. Father, we pray that that would be the, the theme of our lives as clinging to Jesus, trusting in Jesus all of our days, that every other pursuit, every other sorrow would be brought into the light of the gospel. We pray that you would give us endurance as believers, enduring until the day you return or call us home, and that you would give us a great joy and great anticipation of being a part of that scene one day when we are before your throne, when we see you finally face to face, just as that man once blind saw Jesus in that passage that we get to see you face to face with all the burdens and cares of sin and suffering in this world laid behind us, thriving, living eternally in the light of Jesus Christ. We pray that that day would come soon. We pray that you would prepare us for it. We pray that we would be faithful to invite others to it by faith in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.